So uh, anyway, as I was saying, welcome to the ninth episode of um, the uh, of Ask the Atlas Society. I, I said today we were getting back to our roots because we started out this live webinar back in March um, with uh, students and young people having questions for the Atlas Society. We switched it up to have uh, the Atlas Society Asks, where I would ask questions of people like uh, Peter Kopsis, Jeffrey Tucker, Glover Norquist. And I really like that format because um, I got to ask the questions. I didn't have to be in the hot seat. But um, the fact that Maeve Ronan, who's my dear friend, um, and uh, uh, someone who's also with me, I'm in Dallas, and she's also in Texas, and we're both from Massachusetts, was available. It made it kind of a, uh, an easy choice for us to go back and, and restart our um, Ask the Atlas Society. So before I even get into introducing May, uh, I know that there are a few of uh, you following today who uh, may be um, following Maeve on some of her other social media platforms. So, um, so feel free to ask questions of her, ask questions of me. Uh, you can go ahead and you can just type those in um, to the comment section on Facebook or just ask them to uh, in, in the chat section on Zoom. And we're gonna try to get to them, uh, as many of them as possible, but please make them short and that will improve your um, chances of having your questions answered. So, uh, Maeve, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Maeve and I met a couple of years ago at a Young Americans for Liberty uh, conference in Philadelphia. She was my right-hand gal at a Students for Liberty conference in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And as I mentioned, we're both, uh, we both share Massachusetts as our home state. Um, we were really excited to be together uh, at the Young Americans for Liberty Conference here in Dallas. Um, unfortunately, that got canceled, but we're both here in Texas and um, both in the same time zone. So, uh, so I really wanted to get together with Maeve. Um, Maeve is a Gen Z contrarian. Um, she, uh, she writes about uh, values like individualism and productivity. Um, she hadn't learned about those um, uh, values in school. She hadn't been exposed to Ayn Rand. Um, but when she did um, finally read The Fountainhead and then other books by great thinkers, um, she, um, she decided that she was going to write her own book. And um, she has interviewed over a hundred successful individuals from around the globe, gathering their unique insights uh, for her forthcoming book, If I Were Your Daughter, seven uh, success insights from Gen Z uh, from entrepreneurs around the world. So um, hi, Maeve, I'm glad we could get together today. Yeah, this is so exciting. Um, it feels like just yesterday when we met and I kind of started my journey uh, interacting with the Atlas Society. So thank you for having me today. And I would love to get started, um, kind of dive right in and learn a little bit more about when you first heard of Ayn Rand, because from what I see on the internet, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, these are all the platforms that young people use nowadays for their news, to learn about new ideas. And I rarely hear of Ayn Rand. And what I do is 
pretty negative. So when was the first moment you were introduced to Ayn Rand and what was the first impression you had that stuck with you all those years? Well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, uh, I wish I could say that I, I read it early on, but I was kind of a latecomer to Ayn Rand, even though I went to, um, to a wonderful school uh, in Newton, Massachusetts, and then I went on to Harvard. But it wasn't until um, my late 20s, and I was at the Cato Institute, I was the director of education policy, and around the water cooler, yes, it was actually a thing, um, I had a lot of great friends there, um, Tom Palmer, David Boas, um, Steve Moore, I think, yeah, was there at Cato when I was there. And then there was also Jose Pinera from Chile. And, um, you know, somebody would ask sort of a question and people would say, yeah, well, who is John Galt? And I, you know, would say, yeah, who is John Galt? And they would kind of nod. And I, I'd say, no, I really don't know who, who John Galt <laughs> is. And uh, I think it was Jose who very kindly took me aside and he said, I don't know how you got in here, okay? But, uh, but you know, before you embarrass yourself further, here is Alice Shrugged. Um, just take a sick day or two and go home and read it. And I did. And I was, um, I was, I was hooked. Uh, I felt that it articulated a lot of um, things that I had been feeling but unable to find the words for all my life. It helped to put into perspective um, some early experiences uh, that, that I had had in school, particularly experiences where I had been bullied or ostracized and it wasn't um, necessarily for you know things that were flaws of mine it were more for things where I was excelling or I was achieving or I was standing out and I know you've had a similar experience Maeve so um, it, it helped to articulate that for me I then went back and I read um, everything that I could um, including uh, her nonfiction and of course her early fiction too, which um, which I, I thought was very um, very moving um, and uh, not quite as developed as some of her later work, but um, but it had this sort of fresh you know authenticity that where you could really see her her personality coming through. So um, so yeah, so I, it. it connected for me in a big way. I had, for most of uh, my life after that, I had an Ayn Rand license plate. I still do. Um, but I moved to California. I took a job at Dole Food Company um, as sort of a senior vice president of marketing and, and, and running a nutrition institute. And um, I, I noticed, uh, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago or so, that um, previously that the license plate, that any mention of Ayn Rand that I would make got a very uh, sort of negative reaction that people um, you know, frowned or scowled. But increasingly what I was finding was that I was just encountering blank, you know, blank stares that people didn't know who I was talking about. So when I um, was recruited to run the Atlas Society, uh, I thought this is a tremendous opportunity um, because rather than like, you know, starting out having to be on the defensive, right, and say, well, no, maybe you should give it a, a, a chance, um, we had the opportunity to completely reintroduce 
uh, a new generation, people that had never heard of Ayn Rand, to the ideas and to do it in ways that were different, you know, that were suited and tailor-made um, for the way that people are um, reading and, and assimilating ideas today, which is very different, you know, it's just consumer behavior is very different than it was um, 50 years ago. So, so it's, uh, I am not discouraged by the, um, the lack of awareness. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And I think um, what I'm also finding though, as the Atlas Society is continuing to, to grow and uh, continuing to reach more and more people um, via the internet and via our publications, via these kinds of webinars, uh, you are going to have a negative reaction, right? Because she is still a very polarizing um, figure. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, you know, that's something else that also provides an opportunity for, um, to, to use the heat, to use the sort of controversy generated uh, around her in order to just say, well, hey, these are the ideas that we want to talk about. And, you know, what do you think? That's such a great way to look at it as well. And I love hearing your story because I think everyone has a different story of how they were introduced to Ayn Rand and how it led them to where they are today. And I think, yeah, one of her really, she has many different ideas. And like you said, some of them are a little bit polarizing. Uh, one of which is the one that resonated with me, which is individualism. And the idea that you have the right to live your life how you wish, and that you don't need other people's permission or you don't need to live a life for someone else. I think a lot of our youth today, at least in America, are being taught that collectivism and altruism are really only options for if you want to be a good person. So I want to ask, what would be the three biggest consequences of actually prioritizing the greater good over the individual that could affect an average Gen Zer? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, I would say one very real consequence is uh, fewer jobs and less opportunity if prioritizing the greater good uh, means that government has to confiscate wealth and capital, that means there's going to be less wealth and capital um, to be invested in starting new businesses and growing existing businesses and um, starting new ventures. Um, then maybe less directly, uh, there's just going to be less initiative and less personal growth. To the extent that we deprioritize the individual, to the extent that we say the individual is not as important as the greater good, uh, we're sending the message that what the individual thinks, what the individual does, the choices the individual makes, including um, the bad choices that the individual can make and can learn from, uh, that we're saying it doesn't really matter as much and, um, and it matters enormously. So uh, we're going to shift the, gener the focus of a generation um, away from what they actually do have control over uh, to an amorphous blob concept that they don't have control over uh, and that's going to paralyze individuals from making choices 
that will have a real impact on their life. Um, finally, I think what you're going to see is you're going to sow division and hatred between different groups. Because to the extent that government decides uh, what is the public good to which individual rights must be sacrificed, uh, whatever political party or special interest group controls the government will impose that agenda. So issues that actually are a public good, like uh, you know, less disease, more economic growth, cleaner environment, become a weapon um, to impose top-down government controls rather than letting private innovation come up with solutions. Yeah, and that's interesting that you mentioned the entrepreneurial aspect to it as well, that there's going to be less, there would be less money for investing in that sense, because Generation Z is such an entrepreneurial generation. They really want to make social impact. Um, and I'm excited to dive more into that at the end of this as well. Um, for those of you just joining, make sure you type your comments, your questions, uh, so we can get to those as well. And, you know, I know you guys are doing a lot at the Atlas Society. One uh, project is the Draw My Life videos. And I think the My Name is America one really struck me. And they just do such a great job illustrating these concepts and these ideas in a way that's really understandable for, for this generation, the younger generation. So I'm curious what topics you guys are considering for future episodes for those. Well, uh, my name is Venezuela, is, um, is scripted. We have an artist actually who's from Venezuela under contract and um, she doesn't speak English that well, um, but fortunately we've been expanding into Latin America enough so that uh, I can communicate with her in Spanish, which is um, very helpful since I'm going to be doing a uh, Ask the Atlas Society live next week in Spanish. Um, so that one is in the works. Uh, in terms of like how we come up with these, um, these concepts, originally when I came to the Atlas Society um, and it was like, five marble here's your five marble what are you going to do with the five marbles and i thought uh, and they had a video project that was already slated in the works and i thought well hmm, uh, we really don't have um a lot of resources to create these things i had seen on the internet one of my favorite um comedians uh is uh, unfortunately somebody who self-canceled herself um, or started to get canceled and now is just uh, withdrawn her pro productive um, energies, not in, you know, in, in a strike, but in a sort of a self-sacrificing way. But she had done a um, Draw My Life. I saw that other celebrities, other people were doing these very simple whiteboard uh, animations where they would draw, it would be speed ramped with a voiceover. And I thought, well, we could do that. I mean, ugh. Little did I know, um, you know, it looks a lot easier than, than it is, but our very first Draw My Life, um, I, I wrote it, I drew it, it was, my name is Ayn Rand, I did the voiceover, uh, and, you know, we had a very small, very, very small following 
on um, Facebook. So I, I just thought, well, throwing it out there, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't, it was far from perfect. I even got her birth date wrong. I had to go back and fix that. But, uh, but it blew up and it just, uh, it got a million views in a very short order. And so I thought, well, maybe there's something here. So uh, we got funding to do um, anonymous funding to uh, uh, do uh, two more. I did um, for characters. So I'd love to do more characters. Um, I did My Name is Hank Reardon. I did My Name is Dagny Taggart. And those were much more professionally done. Um, but then um, we wanted to take those, uh, take the, the genre, the format, and apply it to concepts. So I think the very first one that we did was My Name is Envy. And um, those are a lot harder to do because you have to kind of um, create a whole origin story and create a narrative of, um, you know, what, what was going for the protagonist or the antagonist that was going against him and then just kind of loop it all into a story and do it in like five minutes. Um, so so that, that took off. Uh, we've got another um, sort of front of the docket uh, one which is going to be my name is free speech so so that is going to be um, a wonderful and important one specifically uh, made to the kinds of things that you're talking about right now um, and then we have a few other ones uh, up our sleeve I, I, I don't want to, to give them away but um, but we do take um, ideas from our trustees from our donors um, one uh, donor John Lang who was very interested in Ludwig von Mises so even though that was like oh, was a little bit you know outside of our, our wheelhouse in a way um, he he wanted to see that done so so we did it and uh, and it did really well so that's kind of you know um, how those come together we've also started doing if anybody's interested um, sort of happy hours, live Zoom happy hours with the creative team behind that. So uh, we did one recently um, with donors and people that are involved with the Atlas Society on our, our latest film my life, which is uh, My Name is Bernie Sanders, and uh, which was also a departure because um, he's an actual living politician. Uh, but I, I think um, he was a wonderful choice because I just found um, an incredible irony in um, the fact that he was preaching against individualism for collectivism for the, the greater good and yet you know he is living proof of the power of the individual because um, he more than anyone um, has uh, almost single-handedly introduced a whole new generation to socialism actual socialism um, as a former socialist uh, candidate and, and politician. So, I mean, he's really done for socialism what, um, what Ron Paul did for libertarianism back um, uh, you know, 20 years ago. So uh, I, I thought that even though, you know, we, we're nonpartisan, we do shy away from um, kind of uh, talking about politicians. He, he, he was one that, that um, 
I mean, I, I didn't want to just say, well, just because he's a politician. I mean, the fact that his life was so perfectly sort of um, dovetailed and resonated with uh, his ideology, I, I thought made him a very compelling artistic choice for Draw My Life. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see what you come up with next. I think the free speech one will be really interesting and much needed, especially with everything going on currently. Um, I know we all are, are dealing with a lot and are, are looking forward to anything in the future. So I know that you guys have a annual gala coming up um, and I would be really interested to hear more about that. Um, and what's what's it been like planning that in this climate? Oh my God. Well, it's been crazy and made, you know, I, I want you to come and I just did a video um, which I sent out like yesterday um, and it, it should be up also on the Outlet Society site. It's on our social media, um, which is a personal video invitation for people to, um, to come to the gala. And one of the things that I mentioned in the video was, uh, so, you know, I, I, we have some uh, donors, um, Dale Bottoms, I hope you're on Dale, hi. Uh, who, you know, for various reasons, they are not comfortable going um, themselves, but, uh, but we have students like Maeve, we've got students like um, Leonard Robinson, uh, we have a lot of young people who um, themselves don't have a, a high risk of, of getting the disease or if they get it, they're you know going to have immunity and, and they're gonna be fine, they want to go and it's a tremendous opportunity for them to, um, to network and to gain those real life skills of, uh, of being in a, a sort of a higher stakes, higher level um, social setting. So, um, so thank you to LGBTQ for Liberty for being a sponsor and for all of the people just in the past 24 hours. I, I was a little surprised that we got such a, a, a strong showing of people buying um, tables, buying tickets. So, um, I mean, it, it's in, in part thanks to, I think people just didn't really know about it. Um, they didn't know about this extraordinary lineup that uh, we have with Peter Diamandis, who's the uh, co-founder of XPRIZE and Singularity University. He is our honoree this year. Um, that's one of the reasons that it's LA based because that was a, a kind of a condition of him um, accepting um, the, the invitation to be this year's Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, we also have Chip Wilson who was last year's um, honoree and he's going to be um, personally presenting Peter with the award. He's flying down from Vancouver uh, and then we have um, a, a kind of a new concept, the, uh, the athlete as Atlas. We're doing a panel, um, Joe DeSena, who is just awesome. He's another sponsor of the gala this year. Uh, he's gonna be, and maybe, you know, you gotta meet him, or maybe you met him last year. He's uh, the founder of Spartan Inc. And uh, he's just really so personally um, <laughs> inspiring. Um, talk about an industry, I mean, the events industry, the sports events industry has been hard hit. And then also Laird Hamilton, um, big wave surfer, and Gabby Reese uh, and Chip Wilson are gonna be a part of that panel. So it's, uh, it's coming along nicely. It's gonna be in Beverly Hills. Um, we've signed the venue. 
And, um, and then also it's, um, oh, I had some interesting, yeah, interesting developments um, this week. Um, I, we're both on TikTok. And so I've been looking to see who are some of the people with huge audiences that have um, uh, either a message that really uh, resonates with the values of individualism and, and optimism and gratitude that we are promoting. And so one of those is uh, Terrence Gibbs. <laughs> and uh, he hasn't read Ayn Rand yet, but I, I mean, I'm just listening to what the guy is preaching. And um, it was just, uh, I, I just knew it was a perfect fit. So um, he is, um, he's going to be my guest. He's going to come out to the gala. He's going to do a TikTok live uh, from the gala. And then also um, Noah, Noah, Hickory? I don't. I don't even know how to pronounce uh, his his last name yet. But uh, but he is uh, is going to be our MC. And this guy, um, he's does an incredible impersonations. He does this incredible, very funny impersonation of Donald Trump. Uh, and I think he's got two hundred impersonations that that he does. So uh, so he's going to come and be entertainment for us. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope to see a lot of you guys who are watching there. Oh, and so yeah, that was one of the things I said in the video was um, we have we we are doing uh, just to help people kind of get off the you know get out of the isolation mode just get unstuck you know because even if they want to come or they're, they're in LA or they're local it's a little hard to transition uh, out of just being in that that sort of fear mode isolation mode so um so we have a sale on tickets uh, that's going on right now the individual tickets usually 500 they're now 350 and uh, half tables usually were 5,000, those were five seats, and now they're um, 3,500. So who knows, maybe we'll get some ticket sales just from, from this show. Yeah, it's gonna be such a great time. I can't wait, the lineup is amazing. And from last year, you know, I had a blast and so grateful for the opportunity. So if anyone's listening, it's definitely worth it. I mean, Beverly Hills, well, like, can't go wrong there. Yeah, somebody get a ticket for Maeve, please. <laughs> I wouldn't complain. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting to hear what the Atlas Society is up to. And I know you guys always have something in the works. And it's been great to see your audience grow over the year that I've known you. Just, it's been incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm so grateful. Definitely. So I know we touched on earlier about entrepreneurship and about individualism. I would love to kind of circle back to that because a lot of the Gen Zers that I mentor are very driven, they're passionate, they have this fire of wanting to make social change. And what I observe is a lot of times their efforts, I think, get lost in political campaigns or in activism, which not to say there's anything wrong with those avenues, but I'm wondering if you have any ideas of other ways that young people can make a positive impact on the world. Um, yeah, and I, I think it goes back to individualism. I think the most important thing that you can do to make a positive change in the world 
is to do what you can with what you have, you know, right here, as, as uh, Teddy Roosevelt would say. So the most important thing that you can do is to be a virtuous person in your own life. Um, that means not sacrificing yourself to others or sacrificing others to yourself. It's very basic, fundamental things. I know uh, Terrence, you know, who I mentioned before, uh, talks about this. Um, it's, it's just not a question of large systemic, um, you know, reforms as much as, as personal morality. So that means um, being honest. Because if you're not honest, you are sacrificing, um, you're misrepresenting yourself and you're sacrificing other people to yourself. That means being independent. That means standing on your own two feet, not um, mooching off of others or living uh, at the expense of others. Um, it means being productive, um, whether that is, you know, productive in your job or just productive in improving your mind and being a part of a webinar like this or reading Ayn Rand uh, or cleaning, cleaning your uh, kitchen or making your bed, just productivity as a, as a virtue, something to embrace. It means being reliable. It means being responsible. It means being kind, it means being grateful, it means being loyal, it means being cheerful. Uh, all of these are things, um, embracing these virtues as individuals and modeling them for others are one of the most important things you can do to make a positive change in the world. Um, and as you keep locking those you know, fundamentals in, and you know, it's, a, it's a lifelong practice, um, in, in terms of what you're going to do with your life, uh, you can, I, I would, I always recommend that you um, think about the things that you do, that you would do even if anybody wasn't uh, paying you or if anybody wasn't watching, um, things that you're really good at, things where you're in flow, and then work to get really, really uh, good at those things so that, um, that you can uh, eventually monetize them and so um, you know think about it what it is that you is your default uh, so whether you know if it's something you're passionate about nature you're passionate about protecting people uh, you're passionate about cooking um, whatever it might be uh, I would say just kind of dive deep into that and uh, if you're doing something that you really enjoy doing and that is your default, you're going to have a much better chance of being successful at it and, um, and uh, of developing it into a business or developing it into a nonprofit and, um, and, and being that solution through uh, your business or your nonprofit um, that can actually address some of these more um, global or more national issues that, that you face. And that default isn't necessarily, you know, it, it, it should be something virtuous, but I would, you know, encourage people to just even be honest with what it is that is their default. Uh, it, it could be something that we don't necessarily um, naturally think of as a virtue. I have a, a girlfriend, very loyal girlfriend, very smart girlfriend, who is now um, enormously successful. She's making millions of dollars a year. She is living and doing what she 
what she's always wanted to do um, as a, uh, a, a national television host. And I remember, though, um, in the you know, many, many years that I knew her, one of the things that was sometimes hard to be around uh, was that she was like very, she was very critical. She was like, she would uh, see people walking on the street. She would criticize them. We would be out. She would criticize what I was wearing. She was criticized, you know, what I was eating. And I needed to sort of say, okay, well, taking the good with the bad. She had so many wonderful qualities that outweighed that. But um, to me, it's kind of extraordinary that she, uh, she found a way, you know, to channel this thing that she was doing rather than say, oh, I'm not going to be critical. She found a way to channel it into being um, a professional critic and to criticizing the things that she sees in the world that, uh, you know, doesn't agree with. So, so yeah, so I, I'd say that those are, are, are the things that you can start doing um, to, to find it, what it is, is, is your flow, is your gift, um, the thing that is going to be most effective and um, most fulfilling. Wow, that's really interesting to hear how she used that quality about her to really make it in her career. And I think that's a lot about what I talk about through my book, through my writing, is that it really starts with your foundation, really discovering who you are, who you want to be, what your values are. And then, like you said, figuring out what you're good at and what impact you want to have. And becoming as good as you can at that. So I really like that, uh, that way of looking at it. And something else that I always hear on the top of Generation Z um, on their minds, in addition to this social change and entrepreneurship mindset is also a socialist mindset, which they're learning from being in college or from social media. And I want to know if if it's so celebrated, if it's so popular, is it really that bad? Mm -hmm. um, it's such an interesting way to, to even frame the question. Uh, and I think it's that kind of mindset is something that's made possible. You know, it's, it's made possible by the fact that we have, uh, we have had recently um, a, a free uh, and entrepreneurial economy um, which has generated like just tons of different options for people to have like almost you know um, too many options a little overwhelming a number of options so many different brands of cereals so many different shows to watch on netflix so many different options to go you know for fast food or whatever and so you know so many sports options so we think oh well gosh you know i don't really like that but a lot of other people seem to like it, so maybe I should give that show a try. <laughs> maybe I should give it a try because it can't. How bad can it be that in a free society, you know, in a free market, that so many people are voting for this thing that we we think is an abomination? So I I think it's ironically just even um, a uh, a luxury, you know, that the fact that people would be able to think that way comes from the fact that we generally think about alternatives uh, in, in an um, environment of abundance, you know, which is created by, by capitalism. Um, I think the other thing that I would say, and, and you kind of um, touched on this when you said, well, people uh, go into college and they start getting exposed to this. I mean, I'm not a, a pollster by any 
means, um, but I have looked at some of the polling data. And I, I think it's interesting that while, um, while yes, there are a, a definitely a larger proportion of the Gen Z and the millennials that um, have a favorable view of socialism, um, it kind of spikes when they go into college and then it kind of drops back down afterwards. So there's a silver lining about the, uh, the university system destroying itself is that uh, a source of uh, extremely fatal <laughs> infection, which is the infection of, of envy, which is the hatred of, of the good for being good, the infection of greed, which is the desire for the unearned infection of socialism, um, that, that, that has been uh, locked down or self-locked down. So, um, so it will be interesting to see how that plays forward in terms of the effects that that has. But also when you uh, then look a little bit on a deeper layer of the polling, um, you know, yes, maybe you'll have a 30% of a certain generation saying that they are, uh, they have a favorable view of socialism. But that same age group, when you ask them, what is socialism? The percentage that can actually identify socialism as, um, as the public ownership of the means of production, or even, I mean, that 16% includes that, a government-directed economy. Uh, it's a much smaller percentage than, than you see, I, th I think, uh, over 30, that actually people that say that they're for socialism are actually for a government-managed economy um, or even a, um, a nationalization of, of businesses. So, uh, so I, I, I think that is um, that's something that uh, is at work there. I also think that um, that you know, to the extent that the people that are um, supposed to be uh, defending capitalism are so apologetic about defending capitalism, and they they just say, well, you know, uh, it's it's got its flaws, but it's it's the best, it's lesser of two evils, or it's a lesser of, of you know all flawed systems, rather than uh, mounting a vigorous moral defense of uh, of individualism, of the individual's right to his own life, of the moral defense of the virtues that are um, encouraged under a capitalist system, which is productivity, innovation, creativity, achievement. Um, that that we really need to also take a look in the mirror and say, you know, we're just going to be not just um, criticizing socialism, but, uh, but doing so in, you know, wonky economic terms, failing to make the moral case for, um, for capitalism, then, you know, we bear some of the responsibility for the uh, surging popularity of, of the system that we um, abhor. Yeah, well, I will have to say that uh, I believe what you say about college students because I was one of them at one point and was definitely floating down that path of, of more socialist thinking. And I really, I had no idea the logistics of it. I, it was just what everyone was doing around me. So I have to say it's much uh, more freeing to be able to use your own mind and take each, each topic as it comes and uh, think for yourself about it. So. I could ask you questions all day, but I want to know if we had any 
questions from people watching we wanted to Yes, we do. Uh, we see Gigi. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing your name right. She just says, hi, everyone. So happy and grateful to be here. Um, Leo Sapicki uh, is having a good laugh. And uh, let's see, Gary Bolaños. Hola, Gary. Greetings from Costa Rica. Uh, how to address the mandatory lockdowns and mandatory home isolations against the individual um, freedom from an objectivist uh, point of view. Well, um, yeah, I, I would say that it's important to, uh, to, I always say, to be objective, you must have perspective. And um, it is impossible to have a perspective on what is happening without um, looking at the trade-offs that are involved uh, in terms of uh, the absolute wanton, um, brutal destruction of, um, of individuals' businesses, of, uh, of their agency, of their futures, um, that, uh, and even, it's not just that, uh, you know, we're, attempting with the lockdowns to control one disease. We are, um, by creating uh, so much um, poverty on a global scale, we're seeing a resurgence of, um, of, of other diseases which have been, um, or infections which have been um, long kind of kept under uh, control, um, uh, including HIV, which uh, people are, are not getting the treatment for, they're not getting testing for, uh, seeing a resurgence of, of polio in, in certain parts of the world where people are not um, uh, able to get uh, vaccines. We're just seeing a huge destruction of, of wealth. So I, there are um, something that we are continuing at the Outlet Society. Um, we've had uh, Jeffrey Tucker on um, who's been following this very um, carefully. We've been continuing to, to advocate for, um, for individual agency and for uh, an individual's right to his or own life. Um, but I also would encourage you to, to check out um, the work of, uh, of Jeffrey. I have Steve Moore on if you're not signed up for his Unleashed um, Prosperity Hotline. Uh, then definitely check out the com Committee to un Unleash Prosperity um, and, and see that as well. So, okay. So yes, so maybe did you have, you had another question, I think. Oh, well, boy, the time flies. It's almost, uh, we only have uh, another 10 minutes or so. Yeah, I, it goes by quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a question for you, Maeve, uh, and it's a question about um, what was what was your journey? Uh, to, you just moved from Massachusetts, where we both grew up, okay? And um, and tell us about how you first heard about um, Ayn Rand and what what's your journey been? Because you're living it. You're not just uh, out there advocating, you know, you're not just out there um, 
uh, fish and you're actually living your values. So tell us about your decision to leave your home state, leave your family and come to Texas. Yeah, definitely. It's been quite the journey that has taken me all over the world. And it started when I was 19. I was in college, my second year of college. And after some family trouble as a teenager, I really felt sorry for myself. I had this victimhood mindset where other people had did me wrong and that they needed to fix their problems so that I could go on living my life. And I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues. I didn't really like being in college because I felt like there was no room for intellectual curiosity or discussion. It was, if you don't think one way, then you're crazy, you're shunned, you're this name or that name. And so I actually reached out to my dad who I hadn't spoken with actually for about a year. And I kind of explained what was going on. And he said, I have the book for you. I think you're ready for it. And it was The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. I had never heard of her. And so I read it in my sophomore year of college. I carried it around on campus like I do with books I'm reading. And a few people commented on it. They said, you're reading Ayn Rand. Uh, You know who that is, right? No, I don't. That's why I'm reading it, so I can make up my own mind about it. And that book really kind of changed things for me. It made me realize that if I wanted my life to get better, I had to do it. I had to take responsibility for what I was facing, and um, it was up to me to, to figure that out. So... I actually ended up leaving college not too long after. I know, I remember that. I was really, you know, you've been living it for a while. And I I think it's just, um, I'm also very interested to see if, you know, those early moves that you made, like leaving college, right? Wow, you know, that's so scary. Wow, I mean, everybody thinks I'm wrong. Um, If if it became easier, you know, as you went on to, to, to make moves and to be willing to, to kind of go against the grain and be willing to accept like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to, you know, do it anyway. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, it was definitely tough, but I think coming at it from a mindset of, I just want to go hear it for myself and then I'll make the decision. It's not, it's not a crime to listen to an idea. It's what soothes it that, really matters so i remember when we met actually at the um, yao conference i was hiding my face whenever i saw a camera i didn't want anyone to know i was there it was scary for me to go against what i was surrounded by in college and really thanks to you and atlas society and other people i've met who are open to more discussion of different ideas. I've been able to build that confidence in myself and in my beliefs and been able to take that to continue growing and continue making these moves that are bettering my life and then the people that I speak to. So thank you for for being a part of my life. I know I remember when we first met and I couldn't, um, 
believe this because I just was struck by this beautiful, beautiful, tall, willowy, long hair, beautiful young woman. And, uh, and I was like, oh gosh, yeah, no, I know. That must be kind of hard being so, so beautiful <laughs> that uh, people, you know, it's probably make, they're not so nice, right? Because they, they, they just have it in their minds that they wish that they looked like you. And, uh, and, and you were a little bewildered and you didn't even like recognize. I was like, sweetheart, look at the mirror. You're, you're gorgeous, uh, you're a gorgeous young lady. Uh, all right, we got another gorgeous um, lady, uh, Vicky, who, would uh and, and then i think we're gonna have time for this one last question um uh, she would like to hear about the book Maeve, that you're working on how did you come up with the idea uh of writing a book giving advice to those in gen z and what you know what are a couple of the things that really were the most mind-blowing to you throughout the process yeah so the book was born out of my realizations of finding this world of individualism and self-improvement and realizing how much it helped me. And I was frustrated. I didn't have these ideas and this, these insights when I was in high school because I really, really needed them. So once I started finding these ideas, I decided to ask other accomplished people what their advice was for high schoolers. And that's around the same time I left college. Well, I took a semester off, so it was gradual change and traveled to different parts of the world to see if people's opinions and beliefs differed based on where they were. And what I found was these seven key insights that really kept coming up with all these successful people. And success being either they were an expert in their field, they had a story of you know, adversity and they made it through, or they're financially successful. And a few of the, one of the key, key lessons I learned was to just start wherever you are. You're never gonna be an expert. You're never gonna have it all figured out. You just need to start somewhere. And that's really where all these accomplished incredible mentors I spoke with they talked about where they started and it's exciting to see how they've grown and to pass that on to the younger generation as well that their future is waiting for them they just got to get going yeah I, I hear you on that I know <laughs> um, one criticism that I've had over the course of my career and it's definitely a merited criticism is, uh, you know, people would say, Jag, it's, um, see, I'm not even gonna be able to remember the order, but it's ready, aim, fire, okay? So you first, you gotta get ready, okay? And then you gotta aim, and then you gotta fire. And that they would say that I would just sometimes, like, fire. <laughs> um, and not in an angry way, but that I would just do something before I had, like, all of the preparation and all of the planning and everything um, together. And, uh, and I, you know, definitely as I've become better at planning and preparation, things have gone well. But I think that there's something to be said for just doing it, you know, particularly if you're in a creative um, uh, field. Uh, I mean, it's not science so much and other things like that, but you have to start experimenting. And I think that um, 
but also objectivism, um, the way I in interpret it, uh, really can be helpful there because I, I know you previously asked, asked about the cancel culture and whether or not that truly was um, progressive. And I think that um, if we understand progress to mean something that is better, you know, than what is right now going forward, um, progress is, is different than now. So you have to first be willing to tolerate something that is different. And um, uh, to the extent that we have a, a cancel culture, uh, whether it's at schools or, you know, I think frankly, even within um, objectivism to, to an extent, that's really what the Atlas Society grew out of was uh, David Kelly's um, Truth and Toleration, was talking about the importance of tolerating a, a different points of view. That is the way to progress, right? That, that orthodoxy and, and demanding that uh, everyone be um, kind of in, in lockstep. You know, I mean, you might be able to preserve things um, more, but in terms of uh, developing things and certainly in terms of communicating things, that you are going to be limited. Um, so uh, Kai, hey Kai, uh, and I'm not sure it's a, yeah, it's just a sweet thing. He says, uh, FYI, I'm 71 years old, uh, and he discovered the uh, discovered Atlas Shrugged a few years ago, recently reread it. Um, he strongly identifies with and admires the principles of Ayn Rand, found um, the Atlas Society, online, logged in to see what we do, and he's gratified to learn that there are young people, yes, like Maeve, uh, who can embrace those themes. And Maeve also is a part of our book club that uh, Anna Kugler puts together. And um, boy, we've got a really strong, strong group. It's grown so much, actually. Um, Gigi says, I love Maeve, she is amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, so it's it's grown so much. I just want to you know remind, let people know um, that we we're now uh, we're actually thinking. Oh, can we still provide all of these um, books? I mean, the Atlas Society is a very small organization, and, and we're not really in a uh, position to uh, to ship you know all of these books around the world. So you know, if you want to see things like the kinds of programs like the book club that we're offering for Maeve. If you want to see things like getting more young people involved in the Atlas um, intellectuals, then consider just, you know, hitting us up with a small donation. And uh, our chairman, Jay LaPere, is doubling, especially if you've never given us, it's been a while since you've um, invested in the Atlas Society, he's, he's doubling all um, new donations and all legacy, you know, lapsed donations. So if you want to give $10 to the Atlas Society, you won't have to give five because uh, thanks to Jay, it's going to be done. So thank you um, to all of you who are watching, who uh, support the Atlas Society. Thank you for tuning in. And um, uh, thank you for uh, being a part of what we do. At, uh, I think it's encouraging for me that really um, is, is wonderfully gratifying for me. And um, make sure to sign up for the Atlas Society newsletter if you haven't, because that's where you'll always get um, notifications on our upcoming 
um, asked the Atlas Society and the Atlas Society asked if we could have them planned out through November. So, uh, so yeah, so come and join us. Uh, even if you're um, isolated in your home, that you don't have to be isolated. Uh, we have a wonderful community and we are very grateful to have you with us and very grateful to have you know. Definitely, thank you so much. Okay. And I'm gonna see you IRL in real life. Very soon, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, bye everyone.